0: Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories, but life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your post-grad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. Hello! Welcome back to another episode. I'm really honored to share this conversation with you guys today. In my eyes, this woman is kind of the queen of podcasting. No, it's not Alex Cooper, but I think she really understands podcasting and the power of podcasting in a new way, and I respect her because she built her podcast not because she was famous, but because her and her sister were two normal girls having a chat, and that's really what made their podcast, The OK sis Podcast, gain so much traction. So today, I'm sitting down with Scout Sobel. Scout is the founder of Scout's agency, the co-host of The OK Cis Podcast, with her sister Mads and the host of the Scout podcast, which is her podcast where she talks about really the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship and her journey healing with bipolar disorder. The reason I really think of Scout as this queen of podcasting is because she kind of saw podcasting before it was as blown up and Before normal people like myself were just creating podcasts, it was really a space where only celebrities or people with bigger names and platforms already then created a podcast. And through the OK Sis podcast that she started with her sister, she found really fast that she got in front of extremely big names and other females for interviews and saw how powerful it would be for her network and her career. Through her realization of the power of podcasting, she went out on a limb and she started Scouts Agency. She didn't know anything about starting an agency, offering a service-based business, and she explains in this episode that today she just... She just really did it. She had no idea how to do it. She reached out to 2,500 podcasters to secure her first 10 guests, and that's how she started her agency. She works with really big names in the industry and has been quite successful doing this and scaling this to a seven-figure business. Scout and I talk about her journey in entrepreneurship, the new book she just launched called The Emotional Entrepreneur that really talks about entrepreneurship through an emotional lens. Given that Scout is bipolar, she actually dropped out of college four times and became an entrepreneur. And she felt like entrepreneurship was the only thing that made sense to her because of her bipolar disorder. She experienced such high highs and such low lows that entrepreneurship made sense to her because it was a type of business that felt that way and that she understood navigating so in this episode, she really shares everything from her entrepreneurial journey to her journey dropping out of college four times due to her bipolar disorder to advice for young women just starting out in the world, trying to find their voice and find their passions. She is such an incredible woman and offers such real advice in a no bullshit way that I think anyone listening can appreciate and gain something from. Scout is such an inspiring and badass human being, and everything shared in this episode really inspired me, so I know you're going to love it. Let's jump into my conversation with Scout Sobel.
1: Hi, Scout. Welcome to Life Snacks. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so honored to be here. I'm really excited to get into all the things. I'm so excited. And I have to ask
0: you the most important question first, which is what is your current favorite snack and what was your favorite childhood snack?
1: Okay. So, my current favorite snack right now is skinny pop popcorn or sauteed kale. I know that's really weird, but I actually eat probably five big heads of kale every week. And then some like maybe seven, I don't know. I order. Yeah. It's kind of an addiction at this point. Um, and then skinny pop popcorn. And then when I was a child, I don't know if you remember this, but it was a salami and my dad would toast a pita bread and cut the salami or cut the pita bread into triangles and put the salami in. It was probably like total shit salami at all, but it was so good.
0: That sounds delicious. And I have to ask you, okay, you like skinny pop. Have you tried the lesser evil popcorn? No, I have not. Okay. You would love it. I used to love skinny pop. And then now I'm obsessed with lesser evil. They make like this Himalayan gold popcorn and it's unreal.
1: That sounds really good. Yeah. I'm a big popcorn girl because I like eating. Like I have a oral fixation. So I like the act of putting, you know, so Hmm. popcorn and kale is the best for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cause you can just keep eating. I feel like that's why I like it too. I'll always bring it to like parties and stuff. And it's just like, I can just like have a drink, keep eating my popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. I totally that (laughs) Exactly. All right, Scout. So usually I start this podcast and ask about your journey from graduating from college and what you thought your first career would be, but Mm -hmm. I know you have a less conventional path. So I want to just jump in and I hope you can tell us about that path and what it's looked like and kind of how it's brought you to doing the things you do today.
1: Yeah. So I did not graduate college, but I did attend four of them. So I have that, that I can say. Um, I actually dropped out twice of college first because I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 20 and My mental health journey really started at the age of 14 when I had my first depressive episode But at the age of 20, I was diagnosed and I dropped out of college then for the first time Um, just because the diagnosis, you know, was 10 years ago and it was very scary at the time, mental health and Instagram wasn't a thing and mental health awareness and people going to therapy just to go to therapy who didn't have mental illnesses Mm -hmm. wasn't really mainstream. So when I was diagnosed, it was, it was a pretty, pretty big blow, a really kind of scary diagnosis at the time. So I dropped out of college. And um, from there, really spent the next couple years focusing on my mental health, although not very successfully. I went through two outpatient programs. I was locked up on, on a 5150 into an inpatient program and I was definitely floundering. I was unable to hold minimum wage jobs. I tried to be a gelato scooper, a hostess, et cetera. And it really became clear that I was having difficulty even holding a base level line of responsibility that is required of us to be in this world. And so With that came a lot of turmoil, a lot of depression, anxiety, panic attacks, trial and error of medication. But it wasn't really until I found entrepreneurship at the age of 22, where I found something that my brain really worked in. You know, entrepreneurship has high highs and low lows, and so does bipolar disorder. And all of a sudden, when I found entrepreneurship and started my first business, I became the girl that was over-functioning when, you know, just a couple months before, I couldn't even show up at my minimum wage job. So, um, it was a really interesting point in my life at the age of 22 to 24. And I enrolled back in college at that time, I went to a community college and then I transferred over to UCSD. Um, and I remember texting my dad saying, listen, if I get a job, um, I'm going to quit. Like, I'm going to drop out of college to to work. I just wanted to work. Mm-hmm. After starting my first business, which was a magazine, um, I found this passion for doing my own thing and and for doing work that I was really, really invested in. And while we had a three-issue run, I was very young and making it a financially viable business I don't think was in my toolkit yet. So I decided to move on from that. And, you know, I think a semester away from graduating college, I got offered um to be a minority owner in a business and I dropped out for the second time and which people I think would think is crazy but you know I was sitting there studying British literature that was written in the 1500s (laughs) and I was like my degree has nothing to do with my career Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah ever since then it's been a long kind of trial and error on the entrepreneurial road. I've started many things, many things have quote unquote failed. Uh, but it wasn't until I started. Okay. Sis podcast with my sister three years ago that I was introduced to the podcast world. And out of that stemmed my agency, scouts agency, which is a female focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. And then from there, I wrote my book, the emotional entrepreneur. So that was 10, you know, it's been 10 years since I was diagnosed, six since I dropped out of college the second time. And I haven't really worked a real career job my entire life. It's been entrepreneurial from start to finish. And I'm just really grateful that I finally landed in a career in a business that really ignites and fuels me.
0: There's so much I want to talk about there. And your business especially scouts agency i know you've worked with so many incredible other female entrepreneurs and helped place them on podcasts as well so let's start by talking about podcasting you started the OK sis podcast with your sister what did that look like in the beginning and what made you know that you had a future in podcasting or you guys really had something that you wanted to stick to
1: so I had my own podcast before OK Sis, and it's because I lived next to a wholesale produce store, which is very fucking random, but stay with me there. Um, And they opened up a podcast studio in the wholesale produce store, which is random because they wanted to become more like a media company with YouTube videos, et cetera. And I asked if I could hop in there since I knew all the girls that worked there. I went, bought my groceries there, you know, every day. And they said yes. And so I hopped in and I had my own podcast, but... I wasn't really treating it like a business. And I think it's really important to kind of differentiate and point out that they produced the whole thing for me. So all I did was show up, do the interview and it was done for me. And I think that because other people were doing the work for my product, for my content, I wasn't as invested in the entire Mm -hmm. process. And it showed, it showed in the quality of content and my level of dedication. So I really believe that all entrepreneurs should really start out doing as much as they can on the foundational base level to really, really grow roots and have sort of this kind of like loyalty into your business. So the podcast was stale. I was not treating it very, you know, what, you know, I would miss a week or I wouldn't have a guest or whatever. And so my sister and I were out for her birthday. We had gotten massages. We were by the pool and I didn't have a episode. And so I asked if she would hop on the mic with me and we recorded it on my phone and, you know, we were eating truffle chips the whole time. And there was definitely an energy between us that was so infectious and magnetic and magical for me that I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so two weeks later, we decided that we were going to do something together. We landed on a podcast and two weeks later, OKSIS Sis was born. And starting okay i said you know i wasn't treating my other podcasts like a business so i want to do this seriously with commitment and go all the way and so we were both pretty committed in the beginning well we you know we're still committed but (laughs) we started quite committed anyways and the power of podcasting was very quickly revealed to me in the sense that i think i was like I think it was like three or four months after starting I'm sitting in Vanessa Grimaldi's hotel room, interviewing her. And, crazy. you know, I was just a bipolar girl, college dropout who couldn't figure out what her life purpose was. And so very easily I started realizing that, okay, so this was going to give me the network of my dreams. It was going to be the ultimate connector. And it was this way that I could get into rooms with women. I never thought I could get into the room with. Um, And from there, I just became really hooked on the intimacy, the vulnerability, the long form, the depth in a world of social media that's super fleeting where attention needs to be grabbed in three seconds. Podcasting is just super antithetical to that entire low Mm -hmm. attention span, cheap content movement. And so that's really where I started seeing the power. Once I started seeing the women we were able to interview, um, that's kind of when I kind of took a pause and and I really thought that this medium was, was going to be very powerful for a lot of people.
0: And I listen to, okay, Sis, and you and Mads have just such like a magnetic energy, right? You, you really link people in, like they feel like they're in the room and part of your conversation. And I'd love to hear what you think is about, okay, Sis, that has made it successful and really made it reach the audience it's, it's reached. Or like, is there any specific advice that you took in the beginning to really run with it? Or was it just this organic following?
1: You know, in the beginning, Mads thought the the world was too saturated, um, which is really interesting three years ago, because I think actually three years ago, normal girls weren't just starting podcasts. They were associated with like the ringer or, you know, bigger personalities, comedians, et cetera. And so um, at the time, I think what was in our best interest is what the blessing and a curse there wasn't a lot of information or support like almost 30 didn't have a podcast stuff you know mm-hmm. podcasters that were our age weren't imparting their wisdom on how to do this so yeah. I think our naivete I think our ability to just jump in um which totally fucking freaked Mads out but I made her do it you know I think okay is what okay is because when we got on the mic, we thought no one was listening, and we continue to talk like no one is listening, for better or for worse. You know, it's made me extremely yes. insecure at times, and it has definitely challenged both me and my sister of who we are on the internet and who we're perceived to be. I'm sure Lauren, like talking to me right now, I'm different solo that I am on OKSis OK because there's something about the energy of OKSis OK where it's me and Mads and it's this vortex of what me and Mads are together. And we have always gotten on that mic as if no one's listening. And I think that's what really translates because we, you know, we're not influencers who started a podcast. We're not celebrities mm-hmm. who started a podcast. Uh, the way we talk to one another is very much the way we talk in person together. Um, except sometimes Mads is a lot more quiet than one would expect in person. <laughs> so sometimes we're like in silence on the other edge of the couch, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's the magic of okay. Says. And that's been kind of communicated back to me that they love the guests, but they really love just when me and Mads shoot the shit and chat. So, yeah. um, I think that's the, just the sisterly bond and, and the kind of no filter, no filter. We don't there's yeah. You know, when you, there's a camera on you and you know, there's a camera on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing. with OKC. Yeah.
0: It's so interesting. You say that. Cause I think some of the best advice I've been given is like, have intros to your podcast, let your personality show through things like that, because people,
1: they, they come for the guests, but they stay for you. Right. And I we think that all is, the time, that's yeah. right. Anyone listening. That's the thing we say all the time. They come for the guests, but they stay for you. So you better fucking deliver on who you are.
0: Absolutely. And you guys really do that. So in such a way where you really bring people in, and I think that's a success of anyone in this world, right? Like Kanye West fan or not, he is very authentically out there in himself. And that is why people are interested in him because he's not like anyone else. Right. And Respect That's such a sidebar. Always. That's such a sidebar because he was in Chicago last weekend. And I was talking to that or to my boyfriend about that this morning. But I want to get back to, okay, sis. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to start Scouts Agency. And mm-hmm. I want to hear about that because I know you had no idea how to start an agency and you did it. And yeah. let's hear what that looks like and what you learned and just like what, what that process, just starting it from scratch, was.
1: Yeah. So, the story, I suppose I haven't really given this this part of the story, actually. I was at dinner with my sister and Amber Lee Lyons. She's the host of Chakra Girl Radio. We had done a swap with her and we were at dinner and she looked at us. She's like, why don't you coach people on how to start a podcast? Like, why don't you coach people on the podcast stuff that you do? And it planted a seed in my head that I could, you know, that's not what we do today. I don't coach people on how to start a podcast, but it put a seed in my head that I could start a client based service business in the podcast industry. I planted a seed. Mm -hmm. And then at that time I was working for my mother, which is second best to being your own boss. (laughs) You are, you know, an entrepreneur at heart, but doing my own thing was really something I wanted to get back to. And at that point I had not been able to make a business financially viable. I was unable to support myself monetarily through business. And so I wanted to do something. I wanted to get myself out there and be my own boss again. But my main wish and my main manifestation was like, I just want to fucking make money off of it. Like, that's it. That's all I want. Like, please God mm. show other people that I can do this. Because at that point, my family was very tired of me saying, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to, I'm going to start a magazine. I'm going to start this. I, you know, I did like social media management for a month and a half, you know, it was just constant. And so I came up with the idea of Scouts Agency because me and Mads had hired an agency to help us with our podcast in many ways. And long story short, they couldn't deliver. And we had a timeline. We were going to New York and we were only going there to interview guests and they were supposed to give us a lineup and they didn't book one person. And three days before our trip, I booked 10 people. And so... I started realizing that we're really great at this. We've been getting big guests on our podcast from day one. And then as we were going on other podcasts, we recognized that that was such a game changer for our growth and getting in front of Mm -hmm. other people. So I kind of used the experience that we had worked with this agency. And I said, you know what? I think other podcasters would really benefit from this, but I can do it better. And I know I can do it better. So um, I opened up Scouts Agency kind of basically loosed on that basically based loosely on that idea. But I started creating, um, the podcast tour, which was new, which was getting women as guests on podcasts. And then I threw in traditional PR because I thought no one would want to sign with me if I didn't have that. So I just threw that in. Um, I thought very little about this. Like we're talking maybe two weeks, like I like two weeks from thinking about it to pitching people. So I, I literally did not think about it a lot, which I think is one of my superpowers. I trust my gut, and my intuition and where my energy is pulling me. And so I had a media kit, uh, lined up, created with my three services, my pricing, very cheap pricing, like 500 to thousand dollars a month. And I created an Excel spreadsheet of a thousand podcasters, female podcasters. I knew wow. I wanted to work with women. And I thought that if I went after podcasters first, I would get clients more because as a podcaster myself, I mm-hmm. understand the industry. I emailed a thousand. My Gmail got blocked. I opened up a second email address, which made me have two email addresses for a year, which was a shit show. And, um, you know, after emailing a thousand, I got my first client within two weeks, which was Kathy Heller from don't keep your day job, which blows my mind. she's Yeah. She got on a call with me and she said, listen, I get these emails all day long. I had to answer yours. I don't know why I want to work with you. And I said, okay, I don't even know how to invoice someone, dude. Like I don't even know how to do press. Right. And so I just threw myself in the fire. I said, I'll sink or I'll swim. And thank God I swimmed and then did like a big dive and a pirouette or whatever. And after eventually reaching out to 2,500 podcasters, I secured a roster of 10. And then I opened up my services to representing all female entrepreneurs, whether they have a podcast or not. So you know, I think that I didn't think I just acted and I acted, you know, I, the output was so significant, 2,500 cold pitches to get a roster of 10 in six months. You know, that's what it took. So Mm -hmm. I rolled up my sleeves and I just threw myself in. I want to click into
0: something you mentioned was putting a price on your services. It's really hard to put a price on yourself, right? Especially when it's a service-based industry. How did you do that? And how did you think about pricing or did you just not? And how has that changed over time?
1: Yeah. So I figured out, well, I thought what I was paying this agency, what I was comfortable paying. Mm -hmm. So I thought that other people would be comfortable too with that kind of budget. And so in the beginning, it was, I think it was $5.95 for one service. $7.95 $7.95 for two services and $1,000 for me to book guests on your podcast, book you as a guest on other podcast and get you traditional PR, wow. which is a lot of things to do for a thousand dollars. I was going to say, it's pretty cheap, very cheap. And I think, you know, I think that was really smart of me because mm-hmm. one, I didn't have them sign, um, three month or six month contracts. It was completely month to month. And so I wanted very, bar- li- very little barrier to work with me. Mm-hmm. And so if I was $700 a month and I did these two incredible things for you and you could cancel whenever, you would probably sign with me just to try it out. And then yeah. I had that month to really wow them and keep them on. So in the beginning, especially because I didn't have experience, I didn't have a portfolio, I had no results. It was how do I get people to say yes to me and the low price point and the limited like contract, whatever month to month ability was what got them. And then they stayed and they stayed, yeah. and they stayed and they stayed and they stayed and they stayed. And six months in, I said, okay, now I'm going to start raising my rates and now I'm going to start doing three to six month contracts. Now we mm-hmm. do four to six and yeah. now our minimum retainer starts at 2000 and it goes up to 6,000 a month. So you know, I put in quite frankly, like my fucking insane hustle to make very small retainers work for me financially and results for them as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I have sent, how many pitches I sent in the beginning Mm -hmm. just to build this. So yeah, that's how I started.
0: In the beginning, were there any mistakes you made or big lessons you learned throughout this
1: process? Oh yeah, for sure. Totally. You know, a couple months in I quit my day job and I went to Italy for my friend's birthday. It was my first, it was my first abroad big trip with my husband that Mm -hmm. we paid for and went on. And I got off the plane and turned my phone on and there was an email from a dissatisfied client and I let it ruin my entire trip. And I also, you know, started recognizing that client work, even if you deliver, since it is subjective, there are people that are always going to be unhappy no matter what. And so, you know, I don't think I've made, I don't think I've made a mistake that's irreversible or did any damage to any client by any means. I think mostly my mistake is the way I allowed my clients to determine my mood in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I let that client ruin a trip to Italy for me, for sure.
0: I want to talk about the emotional piece of business because the first chapter of your book, let's dive into that. It talks about how business, like you just said, it ruined your trip to Italy. It was freaking personal. It didn't feel like business. And how have you as an entrepreneur that also has struggled with bipolar disorder, how has that your bipolar disorder and your recovery really driven your path as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. The first six months of Scouts Agency were pure hell. I would probably say the first year. Uh, like the first 10 months were, were pretty, pretty hellish. Um, I go back and I read those journals and one journal entry, I'm flying high and business is the best. And then the next journal entry, I'm thinking about driving myself to the hospital because I'm just too anxious and depressed to continue on. And so in the first eight to 10 months of business, i was making money and when you when you add money into the mix in a financially viable business it gets tied to your survival and things change mm-hmm. things aren't just a startup things aren't just like launching a podcast you know it's now your livelihood and it's just a different game that you play and then you bring employees into the mix and offices and you know today i'm responsible for four people's full time salaries and that's not yeah. something i take lightly but i recognize because it tore me open so significantly That business is starting a business is one of the most emotional personal development games you can ever walk down. At that point, I had been in healing with my bipolar disorder for enough years to know that life's hard. Um, But I was always fighting the abstract. I was fighting the abstract in my mind. Starting a business allowed me to think about my problems in a way that had an image that I could understand. So, for example, After that Italy trip, I remember very distinctly coming out of the garage in my apartment building and going to the elevator and there's a mirror and I looked at myself in the mirror and I started laughing and I said, of course, God, of course, I'm the biggest people pleaser in the world. I have codependency issues that are through the roof and you had me start a client-based business. Like, Of course. Yeah. Because when you start a business, your weaknesses will be highlighted so significantly that if you don't work on them, your business will go under. And so all of a sudden I started recognizing every challenge in my business as a personal development tool for me to emotionally heal and emotionally mature. For example, you know, it's caused me to work on my relationship to money so significantly. Where am I afraid of it? Where am I attached Um, where am I living in scarcity, et cetera, Mm -hmm. because if I didn't do that at the end of the first year, my business was going to go under at one point. So business, every business problem relates to an emotional healing problem. And then I was able to call on my tools that I, that I kind of garnered with bipolar disorder, since I had, you know, some self-awareness around emotions and I was in therapy and I used those to really, really make me strong in business. And further down the road, I was also noticing that, you know, women who, women who Mads used to be one of these women, mm-hmm. uh, in my life weren't chasing their dreams, not because they didn't have the education, the resources, or even the financial means to back a project. Uh, they weren't doing it because the emotional part, because of the scarcity, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty. So that's why I wrote the emotional entrepreneur, because I recognize that all of this is a mindset game it's all a mindset game. It's sure. Look at your PL all day long. Sure. Think about strategies of marketing and sales and all that. That's all in it. Um, but at the end of the day, if your emotions aren't set straight and if you can't handle the mindset challenges that come out your way every single day, you know, it's, it's not going to work. And I had a friend yesterday, just send me voice notes, bawling hysterically, just bawling. She's one of she's an entrepreneur that I admire so much, so much and look up to. And she had a rough fucking day yesterday because of her business. And I could hear it in her voice, how broken she sounded. And I said, yeah, this is entrepreneurship. Yeah. This moment, not, not the six figure launch, no. not the signing, the big client. Entrepreneurship is in moments where you feel so low and you pick yourself up anyways.
0: Yeah, that's so spot on. I want to talk about you. You said Mads was kind of struggling to deal with the emotional side of being an entrepreneur or wanting to be an entrepreneur. And I think so many people and women especially like face that so much fear and resistance around that, whether it's fear internally, feeling like they're not enough, or it's resistance and fear from other people. Like you should stay in your lane, you should stay in your corporate job. You don't have what it takes. And I think. As much as we do surround ourselves, I'm sure you do too, with people that tell you you can, but what do you do when people tell you you can't or when voices inside your head and that fear comes up that you can't?
1: You know, you have two choices in this world. You really do. I'm going to combine like 10 lessons in my, chap- in my book and, into one. You have two choices. If you want to listen to somebody else who thinks something about you and puts limitations on you based on their past fears and insecurities and failures think about what you're doing with your life. You're giving your power away to someone who has no idea what you can do. And that's just a choice I'm not willing to make for myself. And on top of that, if you're sitting here in pain and you are afraid and anxious and don't think you have what it takes, but you're very upset with your, or or not satisfied in your life and you're living in pain in that way. You know, I live in pain too, every day. I'm also anxious. I'm also afraid. I also have to tell myself I'm worth it every single day, but my pain is propelling me forward. I'm getting an ROI. I'm living my dream. I'm creating a life of purpose and fulfillment. And so once you recognize that the discomfort happens, no matter what level, no matter what spectrum, no matter if you're being in a soul-sucking corporate job or running your own business... You might as well have the discomfort work for you. You really, you really, you know. Yeah. If you're never gonna escape that, why not make it work for you and not against you? And so that's really a principle that I always do. So sometimes, you know, I'll sit there and I'll be like, "This is so uncomfortable. I'm so anxious. Like, I have to meet this monthly revenue this month, and I, I should just go work a nine to five and just show up and leave." And I'm like, "Oh no, that would also be super fucking uncomfortable. Which yeah. which discomfort do I want here?" And so. You know, it's not rosy on every side, but you have to pick the kind of shit sandwich that you want to eat. And, you know, thinking that you have nothing to give or that you're not special. I think that's in my book. I write that if you think this is hard for me to explain. So tell me if this lands. I think it's on page 55
0: of your book because it's something I wrote down. Something about who are you to say your voice doesn't matter?
1: Yeah. You think you're so special that Mm -hmm. you are the one person on this planet that doesn't have a voice. Like literally we all have a voice. There is nothing special about us. The great equalizer is that we all have experiences and a voice and the power to do something great in this world. That's the big equalizer. And if you think otherwise, you actually think you're special. And so I ask in the book, who are you to think you're that special that you have literally nothing to give this world? Like where, where does one get off on that type of thinking, you know, and it turns it on its head because I I really believe the greatest equalizer is that as human beings, we have a perspective, Mm -hmm. a point of view, and an experience that is meant to be shared in this world and expressed. And if you think otherwise, you think, you think you're special some way. That was one of my favorite parts of your book, because
0: you kind of flip it on your head. A lot of people are like. They think they're so special to like pursue their passion or start their company when it's like who are you not to who are you not to because everyone else does at some point and all these people can so yeah. why not you
1: and- yeah every time you see someone that does something that's crazy and you think you could never do that um, you can because they did it and we're all humans and so if one person can do it that means it can be done again or greater you yeah. know Mary and Will you know I was I was thinking about my life at the age of thirteen. And I was really impacted by some great messaging, right? So I was, um, I was uh, memorizing Marion Williamson's quote, um, our greatest power is, oh shit. And of course now I forget it. Our greatest power is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest power, our greatest, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's very true. We mask that fear with feelings of inadequacy but rather you're just afraid of what you can actually do in this world.
0: That's a killer quote. I want to ask you what you think for maybe a young woman listening, who's graduated from college, who's in one of her first careers, and she knows she's made for more, but she doesn't know what it is. She doesn't know what the overused word of passion is in this world. And What advice do you have for someone in that place to find it and to really like dig deep and look for that when they feel like maybe I'm not a passionate person, maybe I do like my desk job, but I know I'm meant for more.
1: I would just say to keep trying things. Don't put this timeline that the first thing you find is the thing that you're meant to do. You know, I went from owning a magazine to blogger, to podcaster, to agency owner, to author. Um, There's this idea that there's like this one path for us and this one Mm -hmm. passion, you know, just dismantling that I think takes the pressure off finding the one thing that you think or believe is going to work for you and finding your purpose and your passion is about trial and error. And it's about trying things. It's about trying things and maybe it feels good for the first two months and then it doesn't. So you try something else. It's just about saying yes to where your energy is pulling you and not doubting that energy or playing small or pushing it to the side. We all have something that makes us feel good. I don't care if making it, I don't care if that's walking outside in the sun, just do that more. And your energy will continue to show you things that feel good for you. And don't put this timeline, don't put this, like, I have to find the one thing, you know, I found my current, my current life's purpose. It could change over years at the age of 28. And that's some would say early and some would say quite late, you know? Um, It happens in good timing as long as you are open and as long as you are curious and as long as you trust what makes you feel good and doing that more.
0: I know you've had quite a self-development, personal development journey. What catapulted that journey and what resources would you recommend to someone listening that really wants to dig deep and start working on themselves as well?
1: So my personal development journey was out of survival, not exactly um, intrigue or interest. It was really my bipolar disorder um, that, you know, my life was going to go down the gutter. I was living with my mom. I couldn't hold a minimum wage job. I was having anxiety attacks left and right. And uh, what really started me taking an active role over my emotional healing and taking active responsibility over my emotional healing was when my now, husband, then boyfriends. We were dating for about two months at the time, and he looked at me and he said, "Listen, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I'll stay in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I won't be here anymore." And um, it was just the last straw of something I was willing to lose, and so it ignited a fire in me to start taking radical responsibility over my emotional state and over the cards that I was dealt, which was a mental illness. That doesn't mean that my healing, you know, was smooth sailing from the age, you know, that was when I was 21, I would say that I didn't find true peace or yeah. I don't know if true peace, that's a very large thing to say, but I don't suffer from my bipolar disorder anymore. And that happened within the last year and a half. Um, And I'm about to be 30. So, you know, do the math, six, seven years of trying, just Mm -hmm. trying and Getting knocked down and getting back up and moments where I didn't think I could do it anymore. And it took a long time. And so first I would say personal development work and healing is like losing a hundred pounds. It's a big feat. It's a complete upheaval of all of your, you know, routines and habits, et cetera. And it takes time. And then once you lose the hundred pounds, which let's say that takes a year, two years, whatever. Um, then you have to maintain it. And so if you can look at personal development and inner healing as that long-term of a goal, you can set yourself up for success. Yes, of course, there can be healing breakthroughs that come pretty quickly, um, but healing is not linear, it's cyclical. And so you go up two steps, you go down one, you go up three steps, you go down two, and it's just constantly rising a little bit higher every time you dip down a little bit lower. So some resources that I love, Uh, Dr. Nicola Pera is amazing. Her book's incredible. Uh, If you're more on the spiritual side, I really recommend Gabby Bernstein's and Wayne Dyer's books. Um, My podcast scout is just ramblings about my mental health journey and some tools for that. Who else do I love in this space other than Gabby Bernstein? And um, yeah, I would start with Wayne Dyer, Gabby Bernstein on the spiritual side and Dr. Nicola Pera.
0: Those are all great recs. I know Gabby Bernstein was like the first book of that type like that I read. And I read the universe has your back. And I was like, holy shit. Like it's, it's crazy when you start picking up books and resources and just investing in that.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, podcasts are free. So there's so many healing podcasts out there that can help you in so many capacities. I think don't keep your day job while it's really pointed towards not keeping your day job. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of conversations that are incredible. If you're struggling with boundaries, listen to Terry Cole. She's amazing on podcasts. Um, Tara Brach is incredible podcast, just on more being centered, mindfulness, et cetera. And so, you know, in today's world, we talk a lot about how help is sometimes out of reach for people as far as therapy goes, but books and podcasts can change your world. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a few closing questions I want to ask
0: you, Scout. And one is something I've more recently started asking my guests because I think it's so interesting just to hear everyone's different take on this question. And it is, do you think that you have to be passionate about something to be successful?
1: No. No, you can be, you can be naturally good at something, successful at it and not passionate. I don't think it's going to light you up forever. I don't, maybe it's not sustainable. Um, You know, I don't think people are passionate about day trading (laughs) and they make a lot of money. You know, like, I feel like those people are passionate about making a lot of money. They're passionate about making a lot of money, but the thing that they're doing, they might not be passionate about. So I think you have to have an end goal to see out any action um, but I think a lot of people are very successful at things that aren't their quote unquote passion for me. I could not function like that, but a lot of people do. Yeah, you can, you can be successful at something you're not passionate about. How
0: do you see scouts agency and your podcasts evolving over time? And if maybe you don't know the answer to that, cause you just wrote a goddamn book. So you want to take a breath. What would one thing As I take like a very large breath? Yeah. Yeah. If you could do one thing next, let's not say you have to do it tomorrow, but like is there anything on your heart that you really want to pursue in the next few years or
1: yes. So um, you know, on the agency side it's it's getting kind of more intensive services, more 360 really building female brands up, female personal brands up. And so just kind of refining the services, making it maybe a little bit more boutique and exclusive and um, building that up. I am kind of in the exploratory phase of, do I want to continue adding team members or do I want it to be a small and mighty team that uh, the services are just so on point that it's aligned for everybody? So that's something that I'm juggling. Like, Mm -hmm. do I expand for the sake of expansion or or do I keep the team as it is and build on that. So that's kind of two business development things I'm toying with at the moment. You know, how can we increase the bottom line revenue without necessarily increasing the overhead? And then, Uh, for the next year, I have huge lofty goals for my book, you know, bringing the book into the world was step number one. And now step two is um, I've already started booking speaking opportunities at entrepreneur groups and college campuses, which I'm really excited about. And so stepping into more of the speaker role would be amazing as well as more of a thought leader on the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs feel safe in their emotions. So speaking opportunities, press opportunities for the book. That's kind of my next year goal, as well as um, organizing a couple more events around the book too.
0: I love that. Hopefully one of those events comes towards Chicago or somewhere okay. I can attend. Scout, mm-hmm. what is one thing you would go back and tell your younger self in your early 20s as you were just starting this entrepreneurial journey?
1: You know, I get this question and, and, and maybe... Look into it a little bit too much, but I actually wouldn't tell her anything. Um she had to do what she had to do. She had to go through all of that. There's no <clears throat> version of reality where I want to take away any of the pain that she felt because she had to move through it to unlock the codes of wisdom that I currently have today. And so I'm grateful for twenty year old scout who was lost and very depressed and in a very dark space that was scary because, She was laying the foundation for me. That was beautiful. Can you tell us where we
0: can buy your book, where we can listen to your podcast and all the places we can connect with you, maybe attend one of your future events?
1: (laughs) Yay, yes, you can buy the book, The Emotional Entrepreneur on Amazon. Uh, You can also follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. The book is in the link in my bio there, as well as links for Ocase's podcast, Scout podcast, Scout's agency. Everything I do is right in that bio. So Instagram is the best place to come hang with me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the
0: time. It was so great having you on the podcast today. And I know our listeners will love this episode. Thank you,
1: love. Thanks
0: so much for listening to my episode with Scout. She is just so amazing and such a thought-provoking human. So I'm really glad I could share this conversation with you all. If you enjoyed the conversation, please feel free to share it on Instagram and tag Scout and myself and let us know what resonated with you. And if you haven't already, please, please, please take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. And that's all for this week. I'll be back next week with another episode.